Thank you. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to you. Now, um, where I come from, we have a tradition where one says good morning, it is traditional to respond in kind and to say good morning. So, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> that sounded southern, I love it. It's a real pleasure to be with you. We've been hoping for this time for about two and a half years now since we were with Mark and Jane last. and. Um, we, uh, we are so excited to be here, and then COVID, but here we are now. So thank you for welcoming us into this house. We just bless this house and the Lord's purposes here. In Catch the Fire churches, we have a very high value on couple ministry. It's not just about the guy with the microphone and the ladies is kind of the sidecar that keeps them from falling over. You know, we, we really believe in women's role in ministry. A key verse for today is from Romans 16, where Paul is giving shout-outs to beloved people. He says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Now, for a Jewish guy, that's a really big statement. If you've ever met any Jewish mothers, you know this is, <laughs> this is not a casual thing. This is very serious. And by the end of this message, because I'm going to be speaking into the role of women and the role of mothers in the church, by the end of this mes message, I trust that you will have a greater love for Paul, a deeper love for Scripture, and a new appreciation for God's very good creation in women as an expression of God's very image. So let's pray. Father, we come to you knowing that we are, we're just flesh, Lord. Flesh with spirits that have been made alive in Christ. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and be our teacher, our nurturer today, to open our minds, to open our hearts, to open our bodies and our posture, to receive from your very word today. Amen. Now, like Jesus, Paul was a revolutionary. He broke all the molds. He broke the norms of spiritual, racial, cultural, social, economic, and even gender roles. For instance, when he was speaking to the church in Galatia, or Galatia, when he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a very provocative idea, a very provocative idea, because he's going after every aspect of the world or the system at that time. And even now, we struggle with these things. We still struggle about the differentiation between Jew and Greek. Ethnic strife, struggle. Bloodlines, culture. And we're talking about an ex-Pharisee who knew it backwards and forwards and was so hardened and baked into it that he had a whole lot of healing and freedom to, to walk into before he could fulfill God's purposes. Talk about he's addressing slavery and freedom He's, he's hitting on legal status, rights, justice, wealth, privilege, class, the whole business and economic system, what we would call the system. So he's going after big fish here. Then he goes into neither male nor female. Now, obviously, there are differences. Viva la différence, as the French like to say. Unfortunately, there are still disparities in every area of human endeavor. There are disparities between males and females in academia, in corporations with the glass ceiling. There are differences in music, different treatment even in fine arts, different treatment and aspirations and potential in entertainment and the culinary scene. In science and medicine, even, you still see disparities between opportunities and treatment and acknowledgement and validation between men and women. It's in technology. It's in politics. 
and no one is exempt because we are made of flesh and we all have carnal natures that we're learning to die to. I believe that the disparity between men and women is the greatest challenge of the church these days. I don't think it's some beast coming out of the water. I don't think it's all the social things that are going on. I believe that the disparity between male and female and the release of women into the fullness of Christ is the major change that needs to come to the church. Because when the move of God comes, it's going to be all hands on deck. And we cannot have half or more like two-thirds of the body of Christ relegated to the background on the basis of biology. Unfortunately, our carnality, our flesh, our habits, our brokenness, and our experiences tend to interfere with the kingdom of God. Now, when I was in university, I was a very serious young man, and I bought a new American standard version of the New Testament. Because it, when you're in Campus Crusade, they want, they want cut and dry. And I was slogging through the book of Romans. There was all this heavy theology and compound sentences and random clauses in there. And then as I'm reading through all this sort of stuff, being, I got to get this, I got to get this. This is heavy theology. This is doctrine. This is good. This is good. This is good. And then I came to chapter 16. And all of a sudden, there's this shift. There's this flip that I didn't understand. I was reading it. I'm just thinking, why is this, why is this even in here? Paul relaxes, steps back, and he gives a series of shout-outs to all these different people, and he names them specifically. He's affectionate, he's mushy, some are couples, some are men, some are women. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know why this is in the Bible. Like, why is this extra stuff in here? But what it does is it puts on display great affection for Paul's sisters and brothers in Jesus. And I came to the realization that Paul was a people person. Yes, he was brilliant. Yes, he had doctrine. Yes, he wanted right order. And yes, he wanted people to be treating each other well. But basically, he was a real people person. I thought he was kind of a hard case. Could use a different word. But a hard case. We'll just leave it at that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, he loves these people. So if you have a Bible with you, we can go to Romans 16. And we're going to go through this together. Now remember, Rome is basically the center of the known world. It would be like in the English-speaking world now. It would be London, England, Washington, D.C., and New York all rolled into one. So he's speaking to a very significant culture and city. And he says to and he says here, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now Phoebe was a Jewish convert, probably coming in, in Corinth because the previous emperor had expelled Christians and Jews. And he and uh, she's in a, a um, in a sister city of Corinth. Now, when Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, the word here is sunistemi. It means to commend. It doesn't mean recommend or give a like or a thumbs up. It doesn't say, you know, shake her hand and make her feel welcome, invite her to lunch. Sunistemi means to set together, stand with, constitute. So he's not just saying hang a banner or have a lunch. He's saying, I am putting her in you to stand with you. I am setting her in with you. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, being a servant of the church in Sencrea, which was the twin city of Corinth. Being servant of the church in Sencrea. Diakonos, it's where we get the word deacon. It means an attendant or a server. And in the New Testament, this word is applied to people who are pastoring churches, what we would maybe call servant leaders these days. 
And Paul, after all this heavy stuff, says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord, not just welcome, but stand with her. And the word there is parastete, means standing by her. Doesn't mean I've got a spare room or we've got a spare desk at the office. He's saying, I want you to stand with Phoebe. Receive her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the holy ones and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. We get this idea that Paul was kind of this mover kind of guy, and he was just out there, and he was doing it all, and he had a, a few assistants with him. Actually, he depended on other people. And Phoebe has been a great help to many people, including me. So Paul's putting, him down on, putting him himself down on that level as somebody who received help. And he sets her in, he stands with her, wants her to be supported, and he's basically saying, treat our sister honorably. Diakonos, it was a recognized title and role in the church. So that's Phoebe coming right out of the gates here. Next, there's a whole series of shout-outs. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to highlight the women in the rest of this chapter. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, equal standing. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Look at the impact. All of the churches of the Gentiles. The other word there is nations. All the churches of the nations are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. They're leading a church. Not just hosting. Hosting is great, but they are leading this church. Dropping down to verse 6. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. The literal is much toils into us all. Greet Andronicus and Junia, a couple, couple ministry, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. So this is an apostolic couple that have been to prison, and Roman prisons were not nice places. They were in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. And remember, the apostles were people like Peter and James and John and Paul. People sent out, ministering to churches. And Paul says, this couple, they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Humble guy. Humble guy. Dropping down to verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who labor in the Lord. Again, co-workers in Christ. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who toils very much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me. That is deep relationship. That is time spent. That is provision. That is nurture. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas and Hermas, two more women, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all those with them. So in total, in this chapter, we've got 32 people that Paul has identified and called out. 18 are men, 14 are women. 14 are ministers in Christ. 14 of them he's giving deference to and saying, they have been such a help to me and so many other people. And they've been working hard for all of you. All of you. And even naming Junius as outstanding among the apostles. Paul saw women as fellow ministers, colleagues in Christ, beloved co-workers in the kingdom with genuine affection, love, and respect, even as a mother. 
He validates the cost that they've paid, the work that they've done, and the love that they have spent on the body of Christ. He is not discriminating or sidelining women in ministry. Great affection, support, promotion, and advocacy as ministers of the gospel. Now, it's interesting. After all this love and affection and, and embrace, he finishes with a closing principle. Not I ask you, but I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers is a collective word, I urge you, which means this is urgent. That's where the word comes from. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out. Watch out for those who, A, cause divisions. And divisions means dissensions. It literally means a double stance. Basically, he's saying, watch out for people who want you to take sides. A double stance means you're with us or you're against us. Watch out for people who are going to try to make you take sides. That is not unity. That is not unity in the spirit, not unity in Christ. Don't take sides between Jews and Greeks, between slave and free, between males and females. You are all one. No more us and them. So I urge you to watch out for those who cause these divisions, force you to take sides, and put obstacles in your way. Obstacles that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned from me. Now, regrettably, there are two or three anomalies in the English translations of the Greek scriptures that have caused divisions, that keep going back to separate Jews and Gentiles. Separate slaves and free. Separate men and women. And have caused divisions and do place obstacles, particularly in the way of women and their gifts and callings in God. And they are contrary to Paul's teaching and practices as he has clearly worked with women and men together as co-workers and co-ministers of God's kingdom. Unfortunately, we are in the world, and we have this carnal nature. And the carnality of the world keeps seeping back in, into our thinking, into our decisions, into our practices, into our beliefs, and the way we, teach, we treat each other. The world's carnality, that divisive nature, creeps in. And I'm going to give you an example of a translation issue that people who like that carnality, who like those divisions, who like those separations, have used and have misrepresented Paul, misrepresented the Bible, and misrepresented the church. And what I'm going to unpack, I think, will help you to love Paul more and love Scripture even more. Even the structure and function of the church, worldwide, and as Paul would say, this should not be. Okay, sila. I'm just going to shift it for a second. Paul has set in Phoebe, a female leader of the church in Corinth and Sincrea. Now let's get into one of the letters written to that church in Corinth. And it's a passage that leaders and churches and even entire denominations stumble over to this day. Now, I have to give credit here to Gilbert Bilizekian. Gilbert Bilizekian was a co-founder with Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, a professor of biblical studies, emeritus, which means as an honorary award because of all of his achievements and impact, a professor at Wheaton College, the headquarters of the Billy Graham Association, Billy Graham's uh, old school, and a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, heavyweight evangelical school. No nonsense. 1 Corinthians is a response letter. 
to the believers, to the church in Corinth that Paul already has a relationship with. They wrote to Paul with a bunch of questions looking for input. How do we deal with this? How do we handle that? We've got one of these. What do we do now? They wrote to Paul for counsel, and he writes back. And this is the first Corinthians that we have now. And he, he spends the first six chapters talking about all the stuff on his mind. He, he's, he, he's urging unity. He talks about God's wisdom. He talks about how his wisdom is hidden from the rulers of this age. His wisdom is hidden from this carnal world. He talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in the church. He talks about the price of being an apostle. He, talks, he addresses sexual immorality. He talks about how to handle civil disputes within the, within the church. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now we get to chapter 7. And Paul says, okay, now for the matters that you wrote about, for the matters that you wrote to me about, and he goes through the checklist. He talks about being single and marriage and remarriage. He talks about food sacrifice to idols and other matters of conscience. He talks about finances and supporting ministry. He talks about women prophesying in church. Not if, but how to prophesy in church. You know, with head coverings, but that's a whole different message. We won't go there today. And he addresses how they're conducting their meetings, and he is not happy. <laughs> this should not be. Then we get to chapter 12, <clears throat> and he's saying, now, about spiritual gifts and all the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are given for the benefit of all, all, not half, not just the guys, the benefit of all. And then he slips into chapter 13, and he goes on this Beautiful tangent about love. Love is this, love is that, love always does this, love never does that. And he comes to the conclusion that, you know what, when it comes down to it, love is greater than faith. Love is greater than hope. Greater is. And then he comes back to, okay, so having said all that, let's talk about church again. Back to the spiritual gifts and how to have a great meeting. And he talks about, well, you know, we got hymns, we got instruction, we got revelation, we got tongues, make sure there's interpretation. We've got prophecy and how to weigh prophecy. He's talking about good times and love and compassion and affection and wisdom and dinners and lunches and potlucks and all that good stuff. Good times, there's love and compassion, there's affection and wisdom. He wants church to be a good time. This should be fun. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So, who can prophesy? All. Who can be trained and supported in their ministry? Everyone. So, are we having a good time? Is Paul being encouraging? Is he building up? Is everybody happy? Every, all that sort of good stuff. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Whoa. What just happened? Where does that come from? Is Paul passive aggressive? <laughs> Is there a glitch in the matrix? We've got some whiplash here. All of a sudden, women should remain silent. They're not even permitted to speak. They must be in submission, as the law states. You're talking about a, a recovering Pharisee. And he had a lot of things to say about the law and those who want to return to the law. Have you read Galatians lately? You idiots. What are you doing? Why would you go back to that? 
If they have a question, ask your husband, because he's so well qualified. Once you get back to the house, it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Does this sound like the same Paul? No. It does. Is this the love guy? Is this the one who has a mom in Rome? And yet the rant continues. Did the word of God originate with you? Okay, this is bad. Or are you the only people it has reached? Okay, it's getting worse. If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Man, he's getting heavy. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Heavy-handed. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Another whiplash. But everything should be done. Everything should be done. Just do it in a fitting and orderly way. So it's not chaos. So, what do we do here? Is Paul got a split personality? There are teachers and there are pastors, there are churches and entire denominations where this passage is read at surface value and applied at face value, literally forbidding women to speak in churches. Maybe some of you have been there or come from there. Let alone give input, God forbid, lead. There's some grumpy old guys in major denominations who will say there is no biblical basis for women in leadership. Well, unfortunately, they need their eyes open because I'm going to show you something. Or there's this watered-down version. They call it complementarianism. Christians are always coming up with these isms. You know, complementarian, egalitarian. A large portion of the church that will say, well, yeah, women, they're important. They're just not the same, and they're just not going to get the microphone, or they're not going to help with decisions. They're not going to have authority here. They're not fully partnering in, in the... They're here to be our helpmate. Now, the thing about helpmate, that word help is the only word is the word that's being applied to God when we see God is our help. So when Scripture says, this is my helpmate, that means this is God's gift to me. So despite Paul's own Romans 16 ministry relationships, despite all the teaching against division and against obstacles, despite Paul's own attitudes that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. What do we do with this passage? What do we do? Do we just say, well, that was then. You know, something obviously was going on. There was a church that he had to speak into. It's probably cultural. It was an isolated incident. Somebody was making trouble. And, you know, times have changed. We've moved on. We're taking our cues from the world now. We should be leading the world. We should be scaring the world. Not insulting the world, but leading them in the right direction. So we need answers. What do you do with a passage like this? How do you make sense of it? So we're going to look into this. And as Paul was eager to say, may it never be. So he would say something. He would put it out there, and then he would say, may it never be. What shall we say then? May it never be. And he does that four times in the scripture. No, sorry, 14 times. 14 times. It's a, it's a rhetorical device where you set up the straw man so you have something to knock down. You know that expression? Now, in New Testament Greek... There's very little in the way of capital letters. There were some, but not a lot. Not much punctuation. A lot of run-on sentences. And sometimes when you're reading Paul, you have to kind of pull it apart to figure out which part actually syncs up with which. And it, tends, it tended to look a lot like this. Once in a while, you get a period. Once in a while, you get a little, a little space. But it was all handwritten with a stylus and, and dipped ink. It took a long time 
time. All right. Now, we punctuate everything. We've got, if you don't have at least three exclamations in your text, people are wondering, uh-oh, is she, is she annoyed? You know, we, we punctuate with all these, first it was the emoticons where they used punctuation to make faces and all that sort of stuff, and then we got emojis. Well, it turns out there's actually an emoji in the Greek. There's a punctuation letter in the Greek that doesn't show up in the English translation because it's just kind of a, a thing there. It's the Greek letter eta. How we say A, B, C, D, E. There's no E in the letter C. It's, we just say C, right? So it, eta is just pronounced A. A? I know I'm going to sound really Canadian right here. But <laughs> A? Okay. So... Now, the Greek historians and, and, and grammarians call it the rhetorical eta. It's a device, and it's just pronounced A. That letter, like in agape, okay, that's the letter. And Greek scholars confirm its use, as, as Professor Belzikin says, Paul uses this device, the rhetorical eta, many times in 1 Corinthians. It's important here is that it clearly marks a refutation of the previous passage. That is what the rhetorical eta is for. It indicates that what precedes it immediately is being refuted. What shall we say then? May it never be. So the eta is just a short form of saying, eh, huh, what, seriously? That's what the eta does. So it's a conjunction. Eta appears in Paul's epistles in a variety of ways, but it's especially a way of saying nonsense, rubbish. We'd say, what? Seriously? Really? Think of the rhetorical Eta as some kind of one-letter emoji, <laughs> where Paul says, what? And he uses it a dozen times. It's in those scriptures a dozen times, just in this one letter. So let me il illustrate with an example. Paul uses the Ada to punctuate 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. If any of you has a dispute with the other, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? What? Seriously? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? You say, what? Seriously? Come on. Really? We have lots of varieties. So the eta is Paul's way of saying that. <coughs> so do you see how that works? So now you see how Paul uses the eta. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. And that gnarly passage that we just read, as a mark to contradict or refute. So Paul uses the eta twice, after verses 34 and 35 and verse 36. And as Bill Ezekian says, it is visible in the Greek that 1 Corinthians 14, 34, 35 is quoting, is Paul quoting from the original inquiry. In other words, the matters that you wrote to me about. So here's how it plays out. Chapter 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Eta, what? Seriously? Really? Did the word of God originate with you? He's quoting somebody back because he wants this in black and white. He's saying, this is what you wrote. No way. Did the word of God originate with you? A, are you the only ones it has reached? We've got a double eta here. This is a double contradiction of what somebody wrote to him, old school, law-based, keep the women down, keep them quiet, keep them in the back. And Paul's saying, what? 
Seriously? You've got to be kidding. Paul is quoting them back and smacking them down. Furthermore, then Paul leans into his apostolic authority on his sister's behalf, and he says, if anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually given, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Paul is offended, and he is warning these religious hard cases, you're on the wrong side of this. He is rebuking this carnal, old-scale, old-school religious mindset. He's saying, who do you think you are? Causing divisions and placing obstacles in the way. Contrary to what you have been hearing me teach and the way that you have seen me in action. So in your Bible, if you have a, a paper one, put big quotation marks around verses 34 and 35. In papers, sometimes you put it in italics or something like that. And then put two etas in there, hash marks or emoji or whatever you want to use. So the verse 36, the two lines, did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? Put those two etas in there so you see it for what it is. Now remember, over in Romans 14, Romans 16, Paul had said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned from me. Gentlemen, we are answerable for the way that we have handled scripture and allowed this mistranslation to reinforce our carnality and our aspirations to be the ones in charge and to sideline women, keep them out of decision-making, keep them out of leadership, keep them out of schools. The carnality of the church has made women in leadership an issue or a hot topic. That is just pride and arrogance. And unfortunately, the male-dominated carnal institution even sways our understanding, application, and interpretation of Scripture itself. And like Paul, we've got to say, this should not be. That passage has been used as an excuse to exclude women. And there are lots of teachers, not many fathers, trying to push that kind of bias. Because real fathers promote their daughters in the Father's house. Father God has been driving for righteousness all through history. He's been striving for justice in every arena of worldly and carnal ways, from the anti-slavery movement to the child labor, labor reform, women's suffrage, women's liberation, affirmative action, the glass ceiling, representation. Why do you have to have a women in tech conference because it's so difficult for them and they have to get together. Guys, we have made it difficult. The whole Me Too movement and, but, and its corresponding Church Too movement. If our body of Christ, and that's us, it's our body, if we are going to attain to the fullness of Christ for which all of creation groans and waits for our completion, we need to get deeper into Scripture, not just skim across the surface and say, well, that, that's what it says. We have to get over our carnality and our assumptions, and we need to pull it together and have good scriptural answers for why we do things differently now. Not just, wow, that was then, this is now. 
That doesn't help. That doesn't support scripture and the authority. We need to pull it together and lead society and culture in righteousness. Not dragging our heels, not settling for inertia and complacency and compromise. So here's Apostle Paul, Papa Bear, defending the ladies and saying, they are co-workers, they are colleagues. They've been such a help to me. Make sure you pay attention when she gets to Rome. I hope this prompts a deeper love of scripture and a deeper love for Paul. <sighs> Doesn't it always seem we're catching up to God's truth in the, in the scripture that he's written? So what I'd like to do is close with some corporate prayer. Guys, would you stand with me? I'm, I'm going to put some, a prayer up here. Guys, men. We'll get to you ladies in a minute. You know, don't worry, you're not getting left out on this one. <clears throat> Charmaine, would you come up with me for, for the women's part? Now, some people get nervous around the idea of inner healing and heart messages and all that stuff. Well, basically, it just comes down to confession, admitting what's gone wrong, repentance. Yeah, I'm willing to change my mind. Forgiveness, as we all need. And then blessing to replace the curse and the carnality that plagues us. So guys, the ladies need to hear your voice. Women have heard so much and noticed so much. Have you ever noticed they just know? <laughs> they scare me with the way they just know. So they need to hear our voice. So I'm gonna ask you to speak so that the ladies can hear you. Let's pray together. We confess, we have been complicit and content. Sorry, let's, let's start over again. Let's go. We confess that we have been complicit and content even enjoying superior position and privilege over women in ministry and leadership in the church. We have been wrong and wronged our own mothers, sisters, and daughters. We repent to you, Father God. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts, including those owed our own daughters. Lead us away from temptation Deliver us from evil. We repent to you, sisters, our equals in Christ, for treating you as less than, overlooking and passing you over. Sisters in Christ, will you forgive us, will you forgive me, for being so worldly and carnal in our thinking and our treatment of you? Ladies, this would be a good time to say yes or nod. Or never even seen. Sisters in Christ, we bless you and affirm you as equals in Christ, the very shared image of our Creator. We bless you and acknowledge you as full partners in ministry and as leaders in the church with equal value and equal voice equal contribution and equal responsibility, with equal access to the rhema of Holy Spirit set in and standing with men as leaders in the church. We need you, daughters in the kingdom. Amen? Guys, let it be so. All right, guys, you can have a seat. Now, ladies... Our Heavenly Father, Jesus, your brother, Christ, your image. Ladies, you are not a photocopy of the male image of God. The Lord took the complete image of God and he, like a big piece of dough, he said, okay, let's make two different loaves. One's male and one's female but both are made in that image.
Jesus, your brother, Christ, your image, Holy Spirit, your comforter, they are witness to what, has been, what it has been like for you in the church, at work, at home, before the courts. And this is not what God has wanted for you. Man's mistakes and pride and carnality and, un and unawareness, just obliviousness, has cost you dearly in the Father's house, and this should not be. Nevertheless, blessed are those deprived and poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have been hungering and thirsting for uprightness. Those who, blessed are you peacemakers. And we bless you to experience and embrace the Father's best for his daughters. Ladies, would you stand? And Charmaine is going to lead you in a prayer of response. So ladies, I just want you to join with me and read with me. Heavenly Father, as mothers, sisters, and daughters in the kingdom, as women, we confess our hurt, disappointment, and frustration with exclusive male leadership and hoarded male authority. Heavenly Father, forgive our earthly fathers, forgive our fathers in the faith, forgive our Christian brothers, even our own sons, for their part in blocking us and ignoring us, even despising us. We forgive our teachers, pastors, and leaders, our colleagues and co-ministers, for not considering us and all we offer. They know not what they've been doing. Brothers in Christ, we forgive you. I forgive you for sinning against us, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. We, give you, we forgive you for sins of commission and sins of omission, for words spoken and for decisions made that held us down. Sisters, for forgiving us and speaking grace over us. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, we also confess and release all ungodly reactions born out of anger, fear, and sadness. And we lay that at the foot of your cross as our sin, as my sin. Holy Spirit, we surrender our wounds to you, to your loving hands, all resentments, judgments, and vows that we chose in response, including all manipulation and control that we have resorted to. Father, forgive us, forgive me, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Now, brothers in Christ, sons of the Father, we bless you and honor you. We choose to learn to trust again, our brothers, husbands, and sons. Let us rise up to the fullness of Christ together. We bless your manhood, your masculinity, your sonship, joint heirs in Christ, to fulfill our shared callings in our Savior's kingdom. Amen. Let it be so. Bless you. Bless you all. All right. Long-formed habits sometimes take a while to get past. But I hope this helps you understand where Paul's heart really was and how appalled and offended he was at the religiosity that was creeping back into into the church and his defense for women in ministry as his equal in Christ. And I hope it's helpful for you. So if you had come from historical backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, where it was 
you know, maybe there was a barbed wire fence up the middle of the church, so make sure the ladies are over here and the guys are over there. A lot of religious reaction rather than healing and restoration. It might take a while for this stuff to really start sorting through your thinking. And you'll start to notice, oh, I did that. Oh, I remember agreeing to that. I remember laughing at that joke. Like, there used to be this thing about women drivers. And it was a joke. And these old guy comedians were, oh, yeah, women drivers. And everybody would laugh and nod, which means that they were making covenant with that. Even though, statistically, women are safer drivers. But we have made covenants. Nodding and smiling and laughing and agreeing in our hearts with a lot of religious crap that has made it very difficult for the majority of the church to function at its full potential and authority and responsibility. A lot of this has got to change. It's, got to take, it's going to take time. And the funny thing is, it was all, there all the time in Scripture, and we didn't see it. Because a bunch of grumpy, old, gray-haired guys were the ones who had the pens when they translated. And it wasn't Paul's heart. So I hope that's helpful for you. Hope you enjoy your Mother's Day, and I'll pass it off to the mother in the house. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's amazing. One thing we forgot to do earlier, I just would like to pass the offering baskets around. That was, um, I think they are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, so, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, all that you're doing in our hearts, all that you're doing to purify our hearts and to do a new thing in this place. So I speak a blessing over everyone today healing and fullness and abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen.